Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In 2005, Teurua Flavel marched into Parliament with his Māori Party colleagues, determined to make change for Māori. After 12 years in politics, he reflects back on his time at the table. In 1868, the first Māori MPs entered New Zealand's House of Representatives. Today, there have never been more Māori in Parliament. They spanned the political and cultural spectrum and continue to leave an indelible mark on our political landscape. In this series, we'll explore the legacies of former Māori MPs as they speak about their time in politics. I'm Mikey Sherman, political reporter. This is Matangiraya. Tei you spent 12 years in Parliament. Did you ever consider a career in politics growing up? No, <laughs> never, not at all. Uh, even when I was at uh, St Stephen's School, I recall the MPs coming up the drive, Machirata, coming up to school, and I thought they were an important person and so on, but no, politics was never in, on, the, on the radar at all. Tell me about your whakapapa and your upbringing. Where did you grow up? From Rotorua. I was born in Tokorua. I uh, went back to my mum's uh, papakainga in Nongota, where I live now, uh, the land of my kuia, Ngāti Rangi I'm uh, a child of a of a man who had five wives, and he died when I was very young. I was only about eight. So it was my mum who brought me up and sent me to boarding school. So I remember, in terms of politics, basically lying on his back as he listened to Parliament radio. Well, those are the sort of first memories I have of, of what Parliament might have been like. 
Is that a special memory to hold, knowing that you uh, eventually made your own way here? Oh, I suppose it. I suppose it is. I didn't really think about it at the time, and and it was just a part of you know the course of your life. That things change, things move, things adapt. In the end, I, I feel you know hugely privileged to have been able to come here, represent our people, in particular under the Māori Party banner. Where did you think that you would end up career-wise when you were young? Because we know that you eventually made your way into teaching. Yeah, probably just because as a group of young fellows at St Stephen's School, we all went out of school together and pretty much training college was in front of me and I followed that line. I enjoyed teaching, I really loved teaching. I love the ability, looking back now, to be able to shape young people's thinking, to be able to give them knowledge, mātauranga, that they may not have had. And it's even better when they sort of come back to you with their own tamariki and their own mokopuna to you and say, I remember you, you did, and I tell them not to talk about it in case I get into trouble. Uh, but um, you know, I always wanted to be a teacher. I enjoyed my teaching career. And like I say, politics just rolled over the top at a particular point in time with the foreshore and seabed issue and the rest is history. I do want to speak about your time at Sipine because you and many others speak highly of your experience there. What values were instilled in you while you were there? Oh, People talk about, you know, the Māori language journey. So my queer was, she only spoke Māori. She lived to 112 years old. And I was with her when I was a young boy. I, I lived in the same room with her. Uh, so I heard everything that she, you know, she talked about with my mother. I was fluent. All my aunties were all speakers. And when they came together, had a few wines and stuff, they just spoke Māori. So many of the, I suppose those values of, of, of living in a Māori community and respect for people, the element of, of um, looking after our woman. Those were things that I remember because my mother didn't tell me about it. She just, it just was a part of what you were, that you gave respect to our, our, our pakek and our older people. Uh, you looked after them. And I, I still hold to those values. I hope my children and, and my mukupuna hold to those values as well. Tell me more about your mama. Uh, she was a very quiet woman, but she held strong to family values. So she never did the karanga. She always, even as a widow, looked after me, put me through school, got the, the scholarships. Why? I wasn't a naughty boy, honestly. Uh, she just believed that I, I should go to a higher place of learning at St Stephen's, went away there. She, she was a very uh, humble woman, worked. The house was spotless. Every day, she'd uh, shine the floor. Every day. Everybody commented on that. And that's why people, I think, loved her, because she was very humble, looked after me, thought, the, thought that I was the bee's knees. Uh, I was, you know, I was, I was very young. I was about 16, 16 years to the next eldest sibling on my dad's side. Uh, so I was at home by myself with her. And she loved her mates, she loved her relations, and she believed that relationships were hugely important, especially amongst whānau. And th those are the values, I, again, that I, that I picked up. Did she see you make your way to Parliament? No. No, no, she, she passed away well in advance. She would be pretty proud to see me come in the doors. I still got the first photo in, in here, I think it was, when all of the whānau came from home for my first day. Um, so she would have been hugely proud of, she was always proud of anything I did anyway. And luckily, I think I did right by her, by the achievements that I made along the way. And at what point did you become politically engaged? Yeah, it was, a, it was a, quite an important time, I think, uh, when the government of the day um, had uh, a programme of ensuring that all boards of trustees must ensure that Te Tiriti Waitangi is a part of your charter of your school. And at the time I was at Tauhara College 
in Taupo. And then it seemed to me that there was something wrong. Same old thing. Our young people in the education system at the time, statistics were high for being booed out of class. Where would they come? They come to me, come to the Māori uh, teacher. I've got to look after them, I've got to sort them out. At that time, a gentleman by the name of Ken Mayer, famous or infamous, either way you want to put it, was hugely helpful for me because he at the time was with a union. And he put out a paper uh, that set out how schools would respond to Te Riti Waitangi. So I, I got in touch with him and said, hey, what's, how, what, what's this all about? And uh, can you come and tell me about how we can do better by our tamariki off the back of your paper on Te Tiriti Waitangi and the obligations of boards of trustees? So we met up and another gentleman by the name of Bill Hamilton. Not long after that, we got together and we called the first two for the Tenorangatiratanga Māori Education Authority. And at that time, there were three of us. They told me I'm the chairman. They set me up with press conferences. They gave me the words to say, and we went on a rampage uh, and opened up the door on the achievement or non-achievement of Māori kids in schools. That's three people, and it taught me the value of what the media can do for you in the right space. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, That's perhaps. Right. But you use it, if you've got the skills to be able to do it, you can use it to your advantage. And that was huge. Um, coming back to the question, the person that was hugely valuable to me was Ken and Bill Hamilton in guiding me at the time as a young teacher and sort of moving into leadership positions about actually some obligations on the, on the part of a government and the state to look after our children. And we highlighted it at the time. We had many conferences around the country, pulled Māori teachers together, they loved it. And the funny thing is that we, we looked after the marches here in Wellington. I remember marching from the old town hall down to just below Bowen House, putting the fist up to the, to the government to say, hey, there's something wrong here about the Māori language, and why can't we get the resources that are needed? So, you know, you got, I got politicised really off the back of people like Ken. I mean, he was associated with people like Tariana, and then Hone, and then Annette, and then all the others, Mike Smiths, that we all started to gather together. The long haul being probably that the Māori Party was inevitably going to be an outcome of all of that. And then moving to the 2004 foreshore and seabed hikoi, you were uh, working in Rotorua as a consultant at the time. When did you get the call up about the hikoi and the fact that it was coming to town and that you know you were needed? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one because I, I can't remember the, the original part, but I, I do remember some key individuals, Judge Heta Hingston, uh, his wife, and Pem Bird uh, as a principal and teacher in Murupara. We got together and had a quarter with Annette Sykes and, and others because we'd had a quarter. What's going on here? There's something wrong. So they came back with a quarter and, say, and you sort of sit back and go, that's not right. How can that be right? So at that time, it was just a natural fit to say, well, we've got to tell our people about this. So we started talking because TPK was on the, on the road to take out their kōrero to the, to the motu, and you had to put submissions in. So, all right, let's put some submissions in. So we would go around all the communities. And at that time, too, we all gathered together, which is part of the development of the Māori Party. We came together at Eva Rickard's Marae at Whangaroa, uh, There's a number of us there who came together, we had a wānang and said, right, we've got to do something. The tactics at the time were we've got to disrupt somewhere. It was pretty out there. Uh, but a phone call came through and said, Whatarangi Winiata is having a call on Thursday or something like that. They're looking at setting up a political movement. And I remember Hone saying, hey, well, hold on, what about us? We're the ones that are setting up this, this hikoi, this protest. Hey, hey, we better be on that call. So, of course, we got on the call. 
and a number of us and started talking about, well, what's this political movement going to look like? But we've got to worry about the hikoi first. So hikoi came, we all took a part in the whole leadership of it. Um, so that was sort of how it rolled. And inevitably, uh, the, the rest is a little bit of history. Uh, you know, Tariana had to leave. Where is she going to go? She's going to set up a political movement. We've already got some links here. We all joined forces, bang, the rest is history. Paint me the picture of the hikoi for you on the ground when it came through Rotorua and then also when it eventually made its way down here. What were the scenes like? Well, actually, the night before was hugely important because I remember it distinctly. I turned up here at about 9 o'clock. Uh, there was uh, St Stephen's old boy, uh, David Kirona and Hone on the steps up here, just talking about the detail, who's going to go where. But as I stood up there at about 10 o'clock, 10.30, Two people walked out what's called the rubber door around here. One was Tarian and the other one was Helen Lay. And they'd been here and it was on the day before the hikoi. And I looked at them and it was a cold, cold night. You, you just sort of look and sort of think, wow, this, this is going to be a big day. To see her walk out, I was pretty in awe. I mean, I knew Tari before, but just to see, I just sort of felt, man, it just looks so lonely. She's by herself, she's got no one around her. Nobody knows her in this place. Don't want to know her because of her stand. I was really sort of, I was taken aback, sort of moved and mo motivated by that. To think, jeez, we've got to look after and support her on this because she's by herself. So that's what it was like. And then the hikoi came along. I stayed up with the Tara ones. We marched through town. It was awesome. Hey, people coming out. You just felt empowered by being with people shoulder to shoulder, pakeke. Older people like Tamariki all coming together, even in the rain, and then coming coming up the stairs here and think, thinking I'm going to control this crazy lot of people. It was a it was a hard gig, um, and of course the emotion, just the raw emotion of people. You know, you had a little bit of control over it, but really not. Our people knew what they wanted to do. They were really clear about the picture. They just came and sat down, and I looked across at all those MPs and thought to myself, man, this is a hard gig. You fellas got it hard. But then again, you knew what was coming and you knew what you could have done. So sorry about it, but this is, this is not on. In retrospect, knowing what you know about being in Parliament in this place, are you disappointed that more Labour MPs didn't cross the floor with Tariana or could you understand now perhaps why they didn't? Well, as Tari says, you'd understand because they got they think they can do certain things in their political movement. Just a different view. And the consequences will be at the voting ballot three years down or whenever it is. That's just the way it is. Of course, since then, a number of them have admitted to the fact that they got it wrong. But too late because now it's, in a sense, resigned to history. Uh, but no, I mean, people will make choices in their own way. It was a hard gig, hard, but you know, if your people are telling you and, and it's and it's in front of your eyes and it's absolutely wrong, you'd kind of like to think that they'd stand on principle. Later in 2004, Turia won the by-election triggered by her resignation from Labour. After the general election the following year, she was joined by Peter Sharples, Hone Harawira and Te Ururoa Flavel. And so, election night 2005, how did it feel to watch the Māori Party wave roll in? Well, I was hoping for seven seats, actually. <laughs> we only got four, but I was, I was OK with it, you know. Uh, I was, it was just a, new, just a new experience. Look, I, I had no 
inklings about even coming down here. Oh, I was quite happy just to run the campaign and really didn't have an appreciation of what was coming our way. Just so grateful when we got down there, sort of like, what's going on in this world? Where do I go? What do I do? And even prior to that, we were so lucky with the people, the one or two people that we had around us, people like Helen Lay that organised us and put us in the right place. The greatest thing for me was around just being shoulder to shoulder with Pete and Tari as the key ones, Whatarangi, Hone, us being together. Because I knew that if we got in front of any audience, we could flip that any audience on our time. The hard part was finding the audience and the time that we had. But, you know, we did amazingly well in that first election. And I look back with a, with a huge amount of pride um, as just starting what we see now is hopefully the, the ongoing presence of the Māori Party in here. What were those first years like for the Māori Party? Were they happy years? They were tough. They were tough. I was, uh, I was the whip as best I could trying to control this leadership. Holy hecka. you got Peter Sharples, Kura Kaupapa Māori, Kōhanga Reo, Wani Waititi, you know, Kapahaka, Te Rōpū Manutaki, you got Tari, Pākaitore, Wanganui, Hone Harawira, Taitokarau, leadership. I mean, we got to sit in the room and make some key decisions. It was fun. There's always got to have fun times with our, our, our sort of humour, but there were some tough times. Explain that to me a little bit further. Why was it tough? You know, they were obviously rangatira, each of them, all of you, in your own right. And there is that saying, too many chiefs. Was that the issue? Uh, I mean, it was just getting used to a new way of doing things and the responsibilities, I think. You know, this is a tough place. It takes a toll on you, taking a toll on me. And just the view that, gee, people are looking at us all the time. It was easy in opposition because all you do is just go and smash the, the, the government of the day. That's it. You're, that's your job. Just go for it. But the expectation of all the time was, was pretty huge. And so every decision that you make and how we present ourselves was always important. So those were the hard times. And, of course, human nature. All of us got things going on in our own home lives, being away from home, being away from partners, from tamariki. It was huge. But, um, you know, we, we, were, we were pretty strong then. It was just hard getting used to this way of life for three years of coming down and having to do the same thing week in, week out. Probably most for, for me in particular was just hard being away from whanauna and being away from home. Mm. So you sat on the, on the crossbenches for that first term in Parliament. Then in 2008, the National Party won by a landslide and they picked up the phone, called the Māori Party. Were you surprised? Uh, yeah, I was. I was going to say, I don't know what's going on here, but we got our seats, we're all right, and just worry about ourselves. Next minute we get the call, and of course, um, Tuddy says, uh, John Key wants to talk to us. Oh, okay. That's how it happens. And then, you know, the rest is history, and knowing full well that he didn't need us. But actually, prior to that election, we, we uh, Tuddy and Pete, and sometimes myself, had meetings with Bill English and John Key, just say hello, touch base. Uh, we're in opposition, everybody's in opposition. Okay, what's the future look like? But nothing was ever said, nothing nothing formal. But I think the, the, the element of respect that John Key had for Pete uh, and for Tuddy, and for us actually, for all of us, and a belief that we could contribute to the country and, and make a contribution, I think was probably the, the key to how things tipped over. And, and as we debated that whole issue, it, it was fair to say that we were guided too by Whatarangi who talked about, well, when you come into this place, you can either come in to make a difference or you might as well go home. 
And at that point, we were able to make a difference with the appointment of both of them and get some gains and set a relationship up where they didn't need us, where we could vote against them at any point in time. All we had to do was support the budget and get policy gains, which is why, in the end, we were able to develop it up in terms of whānau water, you know, a kaupapa that's usually important to our people right now. In terms of those conversations, when that invitation was made, how did those conversations go when you were making that initial decision as to whether or not the Māori Party would go with National? Well, exactly that is nothing, something. And was people. everyone on board? Well, I think we all understood the point that we, we can get something here, we just got to work, and especially if we can vote against them at any point in time because they don't need us. So we sort of had the balance right. We can vote against the government and every piece of legislation, doesn't matter because they already got the numbers. We get some gains in the budget. We've got two ministers, for goodness sake, who can start now moving into areas of that, that are important to our people and we can start making real gains. So in that regard, it was sort of like, well, why not? It's, it's, it's a gain for our people and that's how we viewed it. One of those gains was, of course, whānau water. How important was that for you guys to get over the line and to get started? Oh, it was hugely important to be able to tip over the whole uh, social system well, actually, to win over a government on that policy was probably huge because National would never have gone there unless they had an element of respect for what we were trying to do and understood it. I can say hand on heart that people like Bill English got it. He understood what we were trying to do. And John Key was willing to give us a shot at doing the research that was needed to get the first reports up and gave Tari her leeway to be able to, uh, to do all that was required to develop that policy framework and to get it in place. But not forgetting on the other side too that Pete also was able to make some gains as well in the education area, the portfolio area. So we felt that we were sort of heading in the right way, but ultimately it came back to the issue about righting the wrong of the foreshore and seabed bill. And that was, that was pretty crucial as well, that we were able to tip that over and, and make changes to it that didn't please everyone, but it was far better than the rubbish that we had before that. Uh, that was important for us, uh, and that was a key point in change that we were able to, to move to. And did you feel at that point uh, on the Marine and Coastal Area Bill Act, did you feel quite air? Well, we did what we said we would do, tip that piece of legislation over. Ultimately, it was the demise and the sense of the relationship with Horne as well, because things started to go a little bit shaky there where he felt that we were, were giving away too much in some senses. Uh, and so we, we sort of fell out a little bit on that. But that's understanding how this place rolls. For me, you know, we, we all want to get to the same destination, but the pathway we get there might be a bit different. Um, so, you know, we did make gains in that first point, but that set us up for the second term. And then I, th I thought for the third term, uh, but it sort of came back to bite me in the, in the bum uh, uh, at the last election. That fallout with Hone Harawira, you laid a complaint against him as the party whip. Were you right to do that? I think I was right. Well, we got to a point where we just disagreed. We were the subjects of comments that were not manner-enhancing, manner-diminishing and everything. We tried to find a way forward by having meetings in the north with the people, but Hone and I went to school together. We, we sat by Rotorua Lake to try and work it out. We tried to get there. It didn't happen, and so we had to part our ways. One thing I will say, always say about Hone is that I'll never, ever... Uh, played down the role that he's played in Aotearoa politics and indeed what he's done for our people, him and his wife Hilda, uh, because their contribution to what we have now should never ever be underestimated, despite our disagreement over that issue. So I don't 
talk about the relationship as being broken. It just was a point in time. Uh, but I have huge respect for what he's what done for our people. By 2011, Harawira's relationship with the Māori Party was in tatters. He quit and established his own movement, the Mana Party. And then fast forward to 2011, what was it like campaigning against Mana? Yeah, difficult, because a lot of the people that used to be with us had sort of gone on the other side and we had to put up with a fair bit of derogatory statements, a bit of... Um, throwing some, some stuff around, which wasn't, it's never enjoyable, which is I hate, that's what I hate about elections, but the inevitable part of it. Yeah, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant uh, because of I was thought of, we were of the, of the same view and it became down to people, about how people viewed me, how they viewed Hordney, how they viewed all of us. Uh, that was disappointing, but, you know, that's what happens. And of course, you would also uh, eventually go on to have desires toward the leadership role of the Māori Party yourself. When did you realise that that was something you wanted to pursue? Well, the thing was is that we knew that, well, the question was asked amongst ourselves as to whether Tari and or Pete, when they would be deciding to move on. Um, and that was about succession planning. Because to be truthful, you know, probably after a year I wanted to go home. This wasn't my place. I knew that, but people put faith in me for their three years, okay, I'll stick it out. If they still believe I'm the right person, another three years. Oh, another three years. So I was never ever comfortable in this place if I put my hand on my heart. Why not? Oh, I just, I just struggled with things about, oh, the whole lifestyle and, and about the rules and trying to get stuff over the line. It was just hard, just emotionally, physically hard. And the funny thing is when I, when I finished here, it was hard to leave. Um, simply because of the circumstances. So, you know, just personally, I, I just struggled with being here all of the time. I wanted, just wanted to be home. I just want to be with my kids. I want to be with my wife. I want to be back on my tūranga waiwai. And so it was always a struggle to come here. You know, even speeches in the house. I, I didn't cope with question time. I was struggling to work out what goes on here. Giving speeches when you know, you know like I had responsibilities for about 12 things. Would I know all of them? No. Would I have to speak to them? Yes. Did I know what I was talking about? Probably not. But luckily we had people behind us that gave us some information to build off. But, you know, if, you, if you're standing up to talk about foreign policy and you know nothing about it, you sort of think, I'm not being really truthful here. I'm just, I'm just filling a, a hole for 10 minutes, then I can go back to the office and wait. I didn't really like that. That's why Mariah's comfortable for me. <laughs> You can stand up and talk when you want to. You can talk about what you know. And over time, you just learn to tell your story um, because it was, we're split all the time because you're either trying to put information on the record, which is what somebody's written for you, which is OK. You've got something on the record, but is it you? Despite that, though, you did hold leadership ambitions. And was that difficult, the way that it played out? Because Tariana was intending on leaving, but Peter wasn't so much. Yeah, I can't recall all the debate at the time now. Um, all I know is, is that we, I raised the issue about succession. What are we going to do here? Because uh, if you're staying, I'm probably going to go. I had enough. If you're not staying, then I'll have to stay on for the purposes of maintaining, you know, ongoing presence here and, and to front for the party. That's as simple as that. That's how it came about. Um, all I wanted was a decision so I knew and then I could make decisions for myself. Um, like I say, I, I didn't intend to stay here 12 years 
at the end of each time I'd be saying, mm, I think I'll chuck it in. But then again, the people are giving you the, their, their votes, had trust in you, so okay, we'll give it another three years. So that's how it rolled out. Did it affect yours and Peter's relationship in any way? Uh, probably did a little bit. Um, you know, the threat that he might move on and, and retire and, um, you know, because he, he was the minister, so it's hard to give up that, uh, sort of a portfolio when, you, when you've got things that you want to do and get over the line. But, you know, we, we, we have a long history, you know, and come what may, we, we always reflect back on that history together with his wife, uh, with his whanau. Uh, we have that history, so it's okay. Same with Hone, it's okay. So you head into the 2014 campaign as the leader. What was that like for you? Uh, again, I, I struggle with election campaigns, honestly. I, I didn't like them because I was sometimes outside of my comfort zone. Give me a marae any day, it's, it's not a problem. I can go and talk to Māori communities, but when you've got to go and sit in front of others, non-Māori audiences, and talk about things that are outside your comfort zone, I struggled. Uh, so uh, that was hard. It's always hard, and because you're it, you know, you got a front. If I had my way, I'd always said to anybody, no, nah, forget all the election, just go to the marais. Go to the marais and touch pace with people. Go into the communities, go to the shopping centres, because that's where our people are. But you've got to go to some of those just simply because of the media profile that might be there. So um, I, I struggled a bit, but, um, you know, it was the, the, the cards that were, were put in front of me, uh, and uh, I thought that there was a lot at stake, and we just had to make sure that we won uh, Wairiki to ensure the Party Māori was back in Parliament again. Not only did Flavel win his Wairiki seat, the Māori Party gained enough party votes to bring through a new MP, mother of nine, Marama Fox. What was your first impressions of her? Well, I'd met Marama, uh, I think, either the campaign before, because she had stood with us. Lincoln Heck, I'm going, you got a heap of children, girl, you know what you're coming to. Uh, you're going to have to be away from them. It was more the practical side of things. How are you going to cope here? you got Tani, you got Lincoln kids, they're young, they're babies. Really? She said, yeah, no, I'm up for it. So I said, bite. So we just sat a lot of the time trying to work out the practicalities of how we would roll. I'm a minister, she can't be. I'm a good cop, you're a bad cop. We flip it around, which we used to play back with Pete and Tuddy. Honey and I are the bad cops. So I knew that she was dynamite um, because that's, that's her persona. I've been on her marae. She took a role in many of the leadership positions there. So I knew what we were, we were getting, and I was just so proud that actually, you know, she, that she did get in, especially to be a mate for me, but, but what she brought, that element of energy, and just let the, let the gloves off, go girl. Mm. Did you become close? Yeah, we did. Well, actually, we were always close right through. Right at that time, you know, we just understood. We had to have some hard conversations with each other now and again, because she believed this, I believed that trying to find the way, which was always the way for us, even with Tuddy and Pete, that we talked it out and, and we might have spat the dummy now and again, but always come back because we had to. Um, the same again with, with Marama, that, you know, we, we found common ground. It wasn't probably easy for her not being a minister, but you'd sort of understand at the time uh, the negotiations were like that. You know, most governments would be pretty reluctant to put in somebody that hasn't had parliamentary experience. So that's just the cards that were played at the time. What were your personal goals for that term? because you were the leader, there was no more Tariana and no more Pita, and it was you and Marama. It's funny now that I reflect on it because I did a plan all around three years and just said, I'm only here for three years, whatever happens after this, who knows. 
Little did I think it would come true. But anyway, uh, so I, I made those statements to TPK as my first meeting with them. So I got a three years. We, we've got to do some serious mahi here. Let's get to it and let's go. The decision to stick with National, was that a difficult one at that point? Because there had been many questions and pressure around whether or not that relationship was still sustainable in the eyes of Māori voters. Well, what we always did after each election was always head back to our electorates and ask the question of our own people. That's what we did. So, in a sense, it was pretty straightforward because, again, they gave us the mandate to say, yeah, carry on. We've got some stuff to do. We've got a policy platform that we want to implement. We want you to do this, that and the other thing. There's an opportunity in front of us. Go take it. And so, in that regard, it was pretty straightforward. But did you feel that there was a tide turning? You had lost seats to Labour, and perhaps it could be said that there wasn't that same support there. Did you not put that down to the relationship with National? No, I didn't. Not personally. I mean, I might be sometimes a little bit naive because I thought, you know, when we have the Māori option, Māori will join us. I always believe that every time Māori will vote for Māori, a Māori party, because in my work history, it's always been about that we believe that we have the right to control our own lives. Our people have struggled and there's been protests and political history. It, it was all in my growing up after, you know, around the Springbok tour and all those sorts of things, those protests, One Tree Hill, Pākaitori, Parihaka, all those things were at that time a part of a protest movement. So I was always of the view that our people believed in an in independent Māori voice. OK, we lost some seats. Mm. OK, we've got to reflect on that and then do better next time. But let's move on because there's a job to be done for three years. That's how I took it. Did that change when you lost all of the seats, when you were ousted from Parliament? Yeah, well, that was, uh, that was, that was really traumatic. Like I say, coming back into this room, the last time I was here was when we had our last karakia here. So I was a little bit emotional and it's been hard ever since, since actually I left. And the hard, it was hard and difficult because all sorts of emotions. Not so much that I lost the seat, but more that it was sort of like, you know, back home I had all these pakeke and old people. They'll they'd do anything for you. They'll, they'll go out and deliver in the rain. And they had a belief in the, in the kaupapa, and they had a belief in me uh, and what I'd done. And I thought that we'd done a heap of stuff. So that night, it all went whoosh, gone. I lost faith in our own people. I was angry. I was sad. I was depressed. One, because I felt that our people had given up on us. Two, I thought we were dealt cruelly. I thought, oh, we've done these things for you for 12 years. We've busted our backsides for you. Not me, but the whole movement. And what's happened? It gave us up. I was shocked. I, I, well, I wasn't shocked, I was depressed actually. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And that was the same for a fair while. Probably even now, there's some things. I mean, a week after they went to Tangi, for example, and went past a kaupapa that a housing project I think we had done, and I looked at it and I started bawling. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, we did that. What was up with that? Then I had to go around the farewells, which was worse. I had to go to TPK and they had a slideshow up of all of the things that we've been doing and I'm looking at that, oh, this is going to be a tough speech to have to make a TPK farewell. And I had to stand up and I lost it. I just lost it. It was terrible in one way, but it was good just to get it out. I just gushed. Hard to describe, I just lost it. 
everything. I was just gone. And so I was lucky to have a one night of a really good night with some friends that they put on for us. Uh, that sort of brought me around. But I, I, um, yeah, I think I still, now and again, I don't know, it just, it just kicks back in again. Still feel that mamai. Yeah, still feel that mamai. Still coming out of it a bit. Um, luckily, the place I'm in is full with our people, and I love being around them. I love the being shoulder to shoulder to them. But you know, that night, uh, that that destroyed me. Uh, it destroyed me. My my belief in our people that, that our people would let us down, and after all the work that's been done, and for what? Worse that we'd lost the movement. And I'm not talking about the 12 years of time. I'm talking about all the other stuff that was done before that that got us to a Māori party. All the effort, well, what was it worth? What was it for? Zip. So, yeah, I was pretty angry. How do you reconcile that yeah, for I yourself? Can't. I have never, I'm struggling, I've always struggled to since that time. But I'm so pleased now that our, at least Rawiri and them are back in and, and they, bring that, they bring a new, fresh, you know, push, a real um, wind of, 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 uh, of excitement. You know, they're raw. I love it, because that's what I used to be like once upon a time, and all of us were into that space. But you know that mamai, and just little places and people you meet and things that you talk about, oh, you know, it just brings it back. So when people say, "Did you like it in here?" No, I struggle. But I always say, "But I think we did some awesome things." Because there's even in preparing for today, you know, thinking back to some of the things that were done and the, the special moments, that they'll they'll always be with me despite everything. What were some of those special moments for you, personally, oh, as a minister, as a party leader? Heaps, heaps. I remember going down to Christchurch after there were earthquakes, and um, this mother, two sick children, the doors didn't close, all the doors inside the house taken out, and I asked TBK to take me to show me some what conditions some of our people live in, and honestly, I couldn't believe it that this lady with her Hoa children had to put blankets up over the windows to keep the warmth in. One heater in this house is two stories. There's rats. The worst part was she put it to the landlord to fix her letterbox. <laughs> and the landlord wouldn't fix her letterbox. And I'm saying, why don't you get out of this hellhole? She says, I can't. There might be another place down the road. It'll be, it'll be probably nicer, but it'll cost me extra money. I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm stuck. Then I go to another place. They got the wash basin. They had to put the, the pipe from the washing machine out on the pathway because there's no hole down. And there's a big hole in the floor. But the one I always remember absolutely was up north when we went up north. And um, these people said, we're having a wheat. And they said, well, this crow wants to meet with you. We go down to his place. Honestly, this crow, he had a machine for his asthma, diesel power, linked up to him. He was living in a lean-to uh, it was probably no bigger than a toilet, him and his wife. He had the bed in there, and he had a sink, and that was about it, running water. He lived in that place for two years. So those are some of the moments. But then on the other side, you can go, you know, one of the, the key points for me was going up to Mangapuatu and that a pardon for Ruakenama. Those days you never forget. You know, just the happiness and, well, not the happiness, but just gratefulness of the people to say, gee, that happened, you know, 100 years ago. And now you're going to fix uh, uh, something. I mean, that was, that for me was just it. And it mightn't have mattered to anybody else in the whole world, but it mattered to those people at Maunga Puatu that their tupuna was pardoned. 
And so those sorts of points, you know, are points in life that you think, nah, this is it. This is good. It's a good day. I mean, just so many, so many good times, so many projects that you can say, yeah, you know. And it's this, actually it's the simple things that make the difference. This, this crow in, in Fukatane, he had been affected by uh, the poisons uh, at the mill. So he, the theory was, would always go in and get into the bath, but he couldn't, couldn't get into the bath in case he slipped over. So obviously he didn't bath too many times, and he had to have a, a machine a seat that he sat in to massage his body because he was so sore. Well, we managed to get him a shower, a walk-in shower, a basic walk-in shower, and his face lit up. When we got there, he said, thank you so much. Changed my life. Because he could walk in, have a shower, and get on with life. And we painted his house as well. So, you know, those, those, those times are priceless. Mm. Yeah. And 2017, Jacinda Mania happens. Did you know you were in trouble then? No, not really. Well, at the end, when she did start to get the role on, I thought, yeah, but we're okay. They can see what we've been doing. Um, so I spent, as I said, I focused really on, I really want to be the best minister I could for our people. That was, that was really what I was driving at. I just, my humble opinion, worked really hard to get the best I could for our people in those three years. And then when we got to election time, it sort of came upon us. Oh, well, Jingles, I'm tired. We've got, to, we've got to go to another election. Okay. So I didn't, uh, you know, if I'm honest, I didn't really go in there as hard as I, I usually would. I was tired. And then, of course, you know, the rest played out. I thought we had it covered. I thought we'd done our work. I mean, we just got Maungapuata over the line. Surely everybody's heard Rua Kenana. Uh, we got Te Puya back for Whakarewarewa at home. We had tried to work with uh, uh, Hauraki and Tauranga to find a way forward there. I was pretty much known around the rohe, 12 years, for goodness sake, there's a bit of experience there. Work with the Tuhoi people, work down Whakatohe, find Apanui to get their settlements over the line. So I thought, you know, I'd done enough in the electorate to, to do stuff and, and people to see, yeah, we're all right. But it wasn't to be so, uh, but when her influence, of course, just, just changed things quite dramatically. While the 2017 election spelled the end of the Māori Party's 12-year run in Parliament, their absence would prove brief. 2020 and the Māori Party has been returned to Parliament. Is it bittersweet or sweet as? All of the above. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just pleased that our people believe again, albeit in little old Wairiki. But actually, across the country, because we had a, a good set of, of young people, uh, people with some experience that believe in the kaupapa, they believe in what we want to try and do, and for us to have the calibre of people that we did have was, was awesome. And, and the fact that Wairiki put Rawari in, I think, is a huge endorsement. He's a kaupapa person at heart. He knows what it's about. He, 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 he has a heart for our people. He has a heart for our language and our culture. He's going to be good. It's good because he got rough edges as well, so he brings the whole package. He's an easygoing person, a lovable character. He's going to make a really good contribution to this place. And Debbie comes from a different background, strong iwi uh, links, Ngāti Ruanui, edgy, puts a, they're not scared, a bit of a chip of tariana, are not scared to have a shot, and, and again, she'll hold people to account, so I'm hugely proud of both of them. Rawiri and Debbie have wasted no time making their mark. What's your advice to them? Hmm. Well, I always reflect on three, three, uh, three things that were given to me when I started. 
uh, in this place. One was from Tariana that said, if you throw a rock, expect to get a grenade back, which is pretty true. The second one is, is that uh, this is a game. Understand the game, play the game, use the game strategy. It's a game. And that was from Georgina Tehuhu. Uh, and from Tauhenare, Tauhenare said, bro, enjoy yourself. I thought to myself, this is a serious business. Why are you telling to me to enjoy myself? The lesson was that actually, you know, if you, if you don't do that, it'll just gnaw away at your soul because you, you want to do things that you can't do because of the nature of the place, uh, that you have huge expectations and you can't get there, that there's always something in the road that'll stop you from achieving what you want to achieve and it'll just bring you down. And, and so we had to get used to, oh, we just lost our bill, didn't, didn't get through. Everybody else is moving on, we're going. That wasn't fair. Well, actually, that's how it rolls in this place. Everything moves on, doesn't wait for you. So you've got to enjoy yourself, play the game, and always remember that uh, you chuck something at somebody, you're going to get it back doubly. So know that. And your mokopuna, when they look back on your legacy, what do you hope they see and remember? Um, well, uh, that uh, their papa did. <laughs> that their papa did good? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He did the best by his people. Um, I hope I can um, tell my mokopuna, actually they hopefully know, uh, that I did right by our people and I worked hard when I was here. Uh, that's all I can I hope that they'll ever believe in. Kuna. Kia ora. Kawai hoa kia tawa kōrero ki konei. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia You've been listening to Mātangi Reia. This podcast was made possible by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. This episode was presented by Mikey Sherman. Edited by Debbie Matthews. Sound recording by Craig Mullis. Audio designed by Dean Judd. Music by Audio Network. A big thank you to Kay Almers and Tim Burnell at RNZ Commissioning, alongside Kurahotu Māori Shannon Honui Thompson. Our executive producer is Wena Harawera. Mātangirea was directed and produced by Annabelle Lee Mather and me, Mihingarangi Forbes, for Aotearoa Media Collective. Ka nui te mihi, kia irirangi te motu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.